0: This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Oh, well, good morning. Well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Travis and Ashley. Thank you for um, those kind words and um, reminding me of what we're missing this morning. I am so um, thankful for uh, the blessings of the Lord that our East Point Church and these past years, these past 10 years, indeed, have been a joy and a privilege. Uh, to serve in the role that the Lord has given me there in that community, um, and you have been an intricate part of that in so many ways, and your generosity and your love and care and your prayers uh, and your example and motto uh, a lot of what we do at East Point Church we have uh, borrowed from Um, our experiences with Cornerstone over the years and so thank you, thank you uh, for being faithful and thank you for being kind in your prayers and and generous with us in so many ways like sharing um, Travis and Ashley with us. Anybody else want to move to Atlanta? Um, You know, uh, on our part, on our side of the town, the housing isn't too bad. Um, And we would love, love to welcome you. Amen. 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 I am excited again to be here and to uh, be with my uh, friend uh, Bill. I thank him for his prayers. He prayed uh, rather um, convictingly and passionately about um, East Point Church and and my family. And so I am so encouraged by that and and moved and appreciative of, of my friend's care and love for me. And the feeling is mutual. So thank you. Thank you, brother, for that. Um, This morning, I want to share a message with you from the uh, prophecy of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you could turn to Jonah, I'll give you a little time to find it. Um, If you're thumbing through a page Bible, then it may take you a while. If you have your phones, you should get right to it, but... um, I'll give you a little time to find it. It can be a little difficult at times. It's a small book. Only uh, four chapters. Each of the chapters are, are rather concise. I want to share, you, share with you a message, um, indeed, from the fourth chapter of Jonah. The first four verses, in fact, most of us are familiar with the prophecy of Jonah. It's a story that has been told to us over and over again. It has been uh, dramatized for us in uh, movies and animations and Sunday school material and Bible study over and over again. And so most of us, most of us who've been familiar with uh, the church in any type of way and uh, know the impact that uh, Bible over the years have had upon a culture would be familiar with the story of Jonah to some degree or another but normally when people speak of the story of Jonah normally they're just speaking really about the first two or three chapters of Jonah most of the stories that you hear about Jonah deal with Jonah and the great fish Jonah refusing to obey God and going getting on the ship and God sends this great storm and the storm blows the the ship and the sailors on the ship are frustrated and wondering why they have this storm come against them like no storm they had ever seen before truly truly something divine must be against us and they um, find out that indeed something is against them Jonah is against them and so they go to Jonah and they tell Jonah to call out to to his God and Jonah refuses but says no throw me overboard and and they don't at first but then they relent realizing that that seems to be the only solution possible here to save in their own lives they're going to sacrifice Jonah they throw Jonah overboard and Jonah is sinking down into the depths of the sea down to the depths of the grave and suddenly a big fish a great fish comes along and swallows him up and he's in the belly of this fish for three days and and three nights and while in the belly of this fish, he repents of his rebellious ways and realizes that God's way is better than his own. And, and this fish then vomits him up upon dry land. And, Upon dry land, the Bible says that the word of God came to Jonah again, and the word of God comes to him a second time, and it is the same word that came to him the first time, right? The same word. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to the Ninevites, that they may hear of my mercy and my grace, and that they may repent of their sins and be forgiven. Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, and he proclaims the mercy of And the goodness and the grace of God, if they would repent, would be theirs and they repent. And God relents and shows mercy to the Ninevites. There's a great revival and all is well. But that is not the end of the story. And this morning we want to pick up right where that portion of the story leaves off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for your goodness to us. You have manifested your grace in so many marvelous ways, even this morning as you have lifted up our heads and our hearts and our eyes that we would look and behold the glories and wonders of your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this place, this moment in time where we might once again do that for which we have been created, and that is to worship and glorify and honor and know you. Come now by your Spirit, Lord. Anoint us. Open our hearts anew. Restore us again to you. Cause us to see Jesus in the glories of his grace. this we pray in his holy name. Amen. The word of God, Jonah 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? I am confident this morning that if I was to survey um, the church here and i was to ask the question is what is the most well known of our lord's parables most of us would probably say the parable of the prodigal son it's a powerful story powerful story illustrating redemption and repentance It's a story of a father's love for a wayward child. It is also, unfortunately, the sad story of resentment. The resentment of a brother towards his younger brother. The resentment of a son toward his loving father. And most of us, I'm sure, again, are familiar with the story to some degree or another of this parable called the prodigal son. Yet I want to suggest to you this morning that before Jesus told that remarkable parable of the father and his two sons, the nature of that parabolic story had already been worked out in the prophecy of Jonah. As Jonah was told to engage with the people of Nineveh. What we have in the prophecy of Jonah literally, we have a loving father, we have the repentant son, and we have the resenting brother. And that's our text this morning. Our text this morning actually focuses our attention and, and, and draws our concentration upon the resentfulness of Jonah. And Jonah resenting his heavenly father and now even resenting the redemption of his wayward brothers. Jonah's resentment is what our text reminds us of this morning, but it also reminds us of God's restraint in the face of Jonah's resentment. The text of chapter 4 opens with these words. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, the question immediately that we need to ask is, what displeased Jonah? What is the it? What does it point back to in in chapter 3? Well, the Bible tells us that the it that Jonah resents, the it that he is exceedingly angry about is the repentance of the people of Nineveh and the relenting of God in judgment. He resents their repentance. He resents God's mercy. And he is exceedingly angry. As we have said, God used Jonah in a mighty way to bring about a great revival among the people of Nineveh. You can see in chapter 3. But rather than rejoice in what God did, the Bible says that Jonah was vexed. Was vexed in his spirit. And what the people of Nineveh did in in their repentance displeased him greatly. And what God did in response to Nineveh seemingly displeased Jonah even more. He considered it a quote unquote great evil for this to take place now beloved i I understand where jonah is, is coming from and if you had been an israelite at that time you would have understood where jonah was coming from because nineveh indeed was an evil city it was the central city of the assyrian empire and the assyrians were known as terrorists And they terrorized their neighbors, and all of their neighbors were afraid of them. It was, as we would refer to today, a terrorist nation. And so Jonah, indeed, all of Israel, wanted the Assyrians destroyed. And why not? Why not? Ask yourself the question this morning, who in here cried? Who in here shed a tear when Saddam Hussein was executed? Who in here lost any sleep when Osama bin Laden was sent to his death? No one cried for the wicked witch of the East Or the White Witch of Narnia? Why not? Because we believe that the wicked should be destroyed. However, beloved, sometimes they are not. Sometimes, rather than destroy the wicked, God redeems them. And when God redeems those who we perceive as wicked, what should be the response of God's people to those whom he has now redeemed? Jonah's response was resentment. He resented it. Now, let's define resentment. Resentment is defined as the feeling of anger or frustration at a real or perceived wrong or grievance. And Jonah's anger or frustration gave expression in his resentment as he spoke with God. It greatly grieved him, and he was exceedingly angry, and so he spoke with God, and he prayed to God. But it was not a prayer of submission, but it was a prayer seeking to justify himself. It was a prayer seeking his own vindication. It was a prayer even vilifying God. For he resented Nineveh's repentance. He was not happy with God. He was not happy with God at at all. His hope was that they would not turn from their sin. And like Jeremiah 18 and verse 20, Jonah wanted his enemies destroyed, not redeemed. He wanted God to take his enemies away not welcome them into the family like the older brother and the prodigal son who resented his brother's return jonah resented the return or the repentance of those in nineveh but he not only resented nineveh's uh, repentance he also resented his own calling Notice what he says, right? This is why I fled to Tarshish. This is why I didn't want to obey you in the first place. This is why I refused your word when it first came to me. He knew that God might save the people of Nineveh, and, and Jonah wanted no part of it. Apparently... He had made this objection known to God before when he says, is this not what I said when I was last in my country? I told you, I told you God's agenda was not Jonah's agenda. And since God's agenda was not Jonah's agenda, Jonah wanted no part of God's agenda. And contrary to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, Jonah did not want to rejoice with those who rejoice. Again, like the older brother, Jonah could only think of himself. And so he not only resented the the repentance of the Ninevites and he not only resented his calling, but he also resented God's grace. For notice what he says, for I knew you are a gracious God. I knew that. I, I knew this was going to happen. I knew what you would do if I preached. And shared the message of grace and mercy with sinners, sinners would repent. And he knew this because Jonah understood the character of God. He knew God would act in accordance with his mercy and grace. And so what what Jonah really did here, beloved, is that Jonah resented God for being God. And why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because if what God was saying to him was true, then God's grace to the Ninevites would mean, don't miss this, that the Israelites were no different than the Ninevites. And that the Ninevites were no different than the Israelites. Do you hear what is happening here? There is this sense, is it not, of nationalistic, even a tinge of racial prejudice? In fact, I would suggest to you that here is an illustration of the insanity of racism. During the days of slavery in the United States of America, many, many slave owners did not welcome or want preachers or evangelists coming to their plantations and preaching the gospel to their slaves. And many of these so-called Christian slave owners believed that once their slaves heard the gospel and were saved and were baptized, that they could no longer hold them in bondage because now they would be brothers and sisters in Christ. And so then rather than have them receive the gospel and be free, they would rather for them to be denied the gospel and stay in bonds. So-called Christian slave owners did not want to rejoice with those who could potentially rejoice. They didn't want to rejoice in the grace of Christ with their black brothers and sisters. This is the insanity of it all, beloved. This is the insanity of Racism. This is an insanity of any type of national and cultural prejudice. It caused Jonah, because of this blindness to the mercy and grace of God due to his own cultural and national pride, it caused him to even be numb to his own racism. Numb to it. But that's what sin does. It numbs us to the issues. And we become numb to it even today, beloved. Become numb to the issue of racism. Become numb to the issue of nationalism and cultural pride. Listen, listen to me carefully this morning. The Bible says... In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, that we were all created of one blood. That's the Israelites, the Ninevites, black, white, brown, all of us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 20, we were all created from dust. You know what it says? It says, all are from dust and to dust all return dust dust so this is what you and i need to get straight what jonah should have gotten straight and that is this that your lump of dust is not better than my lump of dust And my lump of dust is not more desirable than your lump of dust. And any time God is pleased to save a lump of dust, all other lumps of dust should rejoice. Jonah thought his lump of dust was more worthy of God's grace Then the Ninevites, dust. And in the midst of this insanity, beloved, what is God's response? The Lord, our God, shows merciful restraint. This is absolutely amazing. This is absolutely amazing. Notice how God responds to Jonah. Like like Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, right? Jonah was insolent. He was disrespectful. He was even profane toward the Lord. And yet God restrains himself. Why? He restrains himself, beloved, because God is God. And he treats Jonah the same way he treated the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't even realize it. But he knows God. He knows God. He knows God because he knows how God has revealed himself. And really, that is the only way to know God. It's not the God that is of your imagination. It is not the God that you want him to be. It's not the God of your feelings, but the God that is revealed in the scripture. The self-revelation of God is the only way to know God. And God revealed himself, has revealed himself in the scriptures, and Jonah knew it. He knew who god was he knew who god was and you know he knew who god was because he quotes the most common self-description of god in the bible it's found, it's found over again. Exodus 34 and verse 6. Numbers 14 and 18. Nehemiah 9 and 17. Psalms 89, 86 and 15. 103, 8. 145, 8. Joel 2 and 13. Over and over again. When God gives a description of himself, these are the words. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't make that up, beloved. That is the revelation, the self-revelation, that God has been given to his people ever since the Exodus. I am a gracious God, abounding in mercy, and steadfast love. Forgiving generations upon generations. Relenting of my wrath to those who come and repent before me. And Jonah knew it. He knew who God was. He knew it. He knew one that God is a gracious God. God is a gracious God. Which which literally means that God is good. God is good. God desires good for his creation, especially his people. In Psalm 119 and verse 68, the Bible says that God is good and he does good. He is good and he does good. This is his overall disposition. Listen, God is never not good. God is always good. This, does, this, this is regardless of your current circumstance. Regardless of how you are experiencing and looking at the world currently. The thing that should always uh, uh, feel and define your understanding of God is this. Regardless of everything else, God is Good. That's what the Bible reminds us of, right? And that glorious promise that comes to us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. That God is working all things out for good. Why? Because He is good all the time. And that's why we say all the time God is good. The goodness of God, is free, beloved, and it flows, and nowhere does it flow more freely than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, again, verse 32 says, he, speaking of God, who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all. Will he not with him also give us all things? What things, beloved? Good things, good things. Grace is good. Cause beloved, God is good. And Jesus is good. Because the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus was full of grace. John understood that God was a good God. But he also understood that he's a gracious God, that he was also a merciful God. You want to know God, you need to know that God is good and God is merciful. In other words, God looks beyond our faults and he supplies our need. It isn't, beloved, that he doesn't see our faults. It isn't that he doesn't see our failures. But in mercy, what he does, unlike most people in our lives, he looks beyond our failures. He looks beyond our faults to to really get to our need. That's mercy, beloved. That's mercy. Looking beyond the faults. Looking beyond the failures. And getting to and supplying the need. That's mercy, that's mercy. In fact, that's mama, that's mama. I had a brother who was um, seven years older than me. He recently passed away and most of his adult life, he was in trouble, he was in and out of jail, prison a couple times given over to um, drinking and drugs, Um, he was not a person to be trusted. In fact, he had violated the trust of just about everyone in our family at one point or uh, another in order to feed and fuel his drug habits and addictions. It had gotten to to the point that really nobody in the family wanted to have anything to do with him, including yours truly, except one. That was Mama. No matter where he'd gone, no matter what he had did, whenever that phone rang, she answered. Whenever he knocked on the door, she let him in. And I asked her one day, I asked her one day, I said, mama, why, why do you continually let him in the house knowing that sooner or later, he's going to do something to violate your trust? And she looked at me and didn't even blink. And she said, if I don't love him, who will? And I said, that's, that's God. That's God. That's mercy. He supplies, he looks beyond the faults. He looks beyond the failures. He supplies your needs. Do what do you need this morning? Seriously, what do you need this morning? Do you need a safe place? Psalm 46 and verse 1 says that God is a Refuge. He's your safe place. Do you need strength? The same psalm says that God is your strength. Do you need help? The same psalm says that he is a very present help. What do you need? Someone to look beyond your faults, in your weakness, and supply you strength, supply you help to give you hope. That is the mercy of God. He looks beyond my distresses and supplies my need. He is merciful. Jonah knew that. He said, God, you're gracious. God, you're merciful. He says, God, you are slow to anger. God, beloved, is self-controlled. He is patient and long-suffering. This is amazing. You know, this this is really amazing if you think about it, and I want us to think about it this morning, okay? The Bible says in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3, that God is great in power and yet is patient. Okay, just let, that, just let that settle in for a moment. God is great in power and yet he is patient. He has anger and he does get angry. And yet, unlike you and me, his anger doesn't get the best of him. Because he is patient and he has great power. You know why most of us get impatient? Because there's a situation that's going on and we really lack the power to do anything about it and we want something to happen with it, but we lack the power to do anything about it. God doesn't have to be patient. God doesn't have to be patient because there is never a situation that he cannot immediately change. He has the power to make everything just as he wants it to be at any given moment. And yet, even though he has the power to change you right now, he's patient with you. Even though he has the power right now to take you out, he is long suffering with you. Even though right now he has the power to bring an end to our hypocrisies, he is patient and kind. That is amazing, beloved, that is amazing. The only reason I'm patient most of the time is because I can't do anything about it, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm left it. well just you' gotta wait on it. Gotta wait for gotta wait for the child to come home. Gotta wait for the spouse to change. Gotta wait for the new job to come. God doesn't have to wait. And yet he does. And yet he does. He is slow to anger. Doesn't mean that he doesn't get angry. Doesn't mean that he has no anger. It just means, beloved, that he never acts in a way that he later regrets. He never does anything or says anything for which later on he has to come back and apologize. His anger doesn't get the best of him. Even in his anger, he is patient. And this is the God who sees and knows everything. Sees and knows everything. Notice what it says in Psalm 78 and verse 38. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. Time after time, time after time. And every time I hear those words, time after time, I say, wow, that's my life. Time after time, I fall, and yet God is there time after time. Time after time, I fail, and yet God is with me time after time. I think that was Sidney Lauper, Right. Time, I think I'm dating myself. Some of you might remember that. If you lost, you can look and you will find me. Time after time. If you fall, I will catch you. I will be waiting. Time after time. I don't know who Sidney Lauper was talking about, but I can hear God saying that to me. Son, if you lost, you can look and you will find me. Time after time. If you fall, I will catch you. I will be waiting. Time after time, after time, after time, time, after time. Jonah knew who God was. He knew who God was. And all he did, all he did, you do see, in his accusation, was accuse God of being God. <laughs> he accused God of being God. And yet, for this moment in time, he despised that. He despised the goodness of God. He despised the compassion of God. He despised the kindness of God, the patience of God, the mercy of God. Despised the character of God. And so often, beloved, if we are honest, we do too. We resent God from being God. Jonah forgets, he forgot. Just for a moment. Didn't he? That that is the God who had been merciful to him. That is the God that had been gracious to him. That is the God that had been kind to him. That is the God that had been patient with him. Beloved, we love God when he is being patient with us. We are not so enthused when he's being patient with us our spouses, when he's being patient with our children, when he's being patient with our coworkers or our supervisors, when he's being patient with an employee, with a neighbor. But it's the same God. The God that you love to be merciful to you is the God who desires to be merciful to others. We love God. We love God to be angry at those who sin against us. We are not so enthused if God should get angry at our own sin. This is why we need to be careful. Because we who are redeemed must always remember from whence we have come and how the Lord was merciful to us and how he delights to be merciful to others. How the Lord was patient with us and how he delights to be patient with others. Jonah was angry, and he resented God. And in this, beloved, Jonah was in sin. His sin was being manifested, and the only cure for sin is to once again reflect upon the nature of God that's it. Jonah's in sin, but he's brought face-to-face with God, and the God that he's brought face-to-face with, he is reminded again, is a merciful God, is a gracious God, is a good God, is a forgiving God. And when you understand that, beloved, again, again, that God is gracious, that God is good, that God is kind, that God is patient, that God is a loving and a merciful God, and that he has been all these things to you, then you must answer the question that Jonah was faced with. You must Always be answering the question that Jonah was faced with and that is Have you now any real reason to be angry? Or if I could put it in this way Have you really any right to complain? Really 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 Have you any real right to complain? See, see again, beloved. See again the grace of God, despite the depths of your own sin. See the mercy of God, despite how wayward you have run from him and run from his will and sought to circumvent the will and the word of God in your life. See the grace of God, despite all of that, And ask yourself the question, really, have you any reason to complain? But if that is not enough, see again the community of saints despite your own selfishness. See again that God has been gracious to you and has brought you into this place once again so that you could experience the spirit of the Lord in the community of the saints where his grace and mercy freely flows and forgiveness is offered to anyone who seeks it. And this is your portion this morning and ask yourself the question, do you really have any right to complain? Or see again, beloved, despite your ignorance and disobedience to God, that God has once again allowed you to open his word and hear it read for you. That he has once again been gracious enough to you to speak to you. And to say, all is forgiven. That to remind you that he is gracious, that he is loving, that he is merciful. That he loves you. and all can be well with your soul. And ask yourself the question, do you really have any reason to complain? But then, beloved, see again... Christ upon the cross, despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, full of grief, taking your chastisement upon him, taking the thorns upon his head, the nails in his hand, the spears in his side, taking the wrath of God that was due to you for your sin, crying out to the Father upon the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what, they do promising to receive you into his kingdom all who would come by faith and trust in him and ask yourself the question do you really have any reason to complain I won't complain that should have been Jonah's response I'm sorry, Lord, I won't complain. When I see the depths of the Father's love, I won't complain. His mercy came down from above and I won't complain. With all my sin he has owned and the great extent to which he has gone, No greater love has anyone known. I won't complain. From the wounds in his nail-scarred hands, I won't complain. And I see on his head a thorn-filled band. I won't complain. With his body broken and blood shed, not a displeasing word he said. For all for me he bowed his head. I won't complain. Because I know he's risen from the grave. I know he has the power to save. His Holy Spirit with me abide, the risen Christ at the Father's side, and in him I now have eternal life. No, no, no. I won't complain. Jonah shouldn't had no grounds for complaint. And those of us who have been the recipients of God's mercy and goodness and grace have no grounds for complaint either. I won't complain. Let us pray. Lord, we do admit, Lord, that our hearts are often filled with this pleasure, Lord, for your will and way in our lives and in this world. We forget that you are a good God all the time. We forget that we are the recipients of your mercy, that your grace has been freely given to us, unearned and undeserved. And in the midst of that, Lord, we complain, we pout, we sulk. Lord, forgive us this morning. Thank you for reminding us that you are a merciful God and that you have not forsaken your people, but you are with us. And your grace abounds. And it is our portion this morning. And so, Lord, let us not, let us not complain. Let us sing with joy of all that you are and all that you have done for all your people, all time. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This message by Tony Carter was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Tony serves as the lead pastor for East Point Church in Georgia.